Welcome to the Rise Up series. This is a series for men. The world is knocking men down and trying to keep them from their God-ordained purpose, to lead others out of darkness and into the light. Every man knows what it feels like to get knocked down, but not every man knows how to get back up again. And if a man gets knocked down enough times, he may even stop trying to get back up again. This series is intended to help men stand against the onslaught from the culture that might knock them down and will help those men who have been knocked down to get back up again. God has called you to a higher purpose. Welcome to Rise Up. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. We continue our study through the first of the Gospels. We'll open with a word of prayer and then we'll get into our text for this morning. Heavenly Father, we come humbly before you and as already been prayed and prayed several times, Lord, we, we recognize, we acknowledge the reality of your presence here with us today. And that we also recognize that what we do here is about you, it's for you, it's because of you, and that, Lord, um, through our interaction with you, that, that we, we can be, we should be, we desire to be changed. That we all come with, with stuff, either has been talked about burdens and cares and worries and injuries and different things, that, Lord God, that... that we can lay all those things aside and hear your voice this morning through your word, by your spirit, through your messenger. And so we ask, Lord, Lord God, that you would speak to us, that you would speak through me, God, in some way that will minister to your people and help them to grow in their image of you, that they might be able to take your message out to those who need to hear it. We praise you, Lord. We love you. We lift this morning up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Matthew chapter 12. There was a group of people that Jesus interacted with on a regular basis, and um, it, was, it was not usually a, a pleasant experience when he did, and that was the Pharisees. They were, a, 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 they were religious Jews, and they had a series of rules and regulations, hundreds of these rules and regulations, that they used as a way of being right with God. They, you know, if we do all of these things, we follow all these rules, we stay between these lines, we're good with God. And it became very religious, very legalistic. And so they're always around. They seem to always be around Jesus. And their motives, unfortunately, were not pure. In our text for this morning, we're going to see another one of those accounts with the Pharisees. And in this confrontation, Jesus is going to expose their hard-hearted unbelief. For religious people, their attitude toward God and the things of God was not good. And Jesus is going to draw it out in this message today. And it all begins with a powerful display of Jesus' power. Verse 21 of Matthew no, verse 22. 
Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. This guy really had some stuff. And he, Christ, healed him so that the blind man, blind and mute man, both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Now, now remember, Jesus had already done countless miracles. But by the time we get to this point in his ministry, he has, he has healed hundreds of people of every theme and variation of thing that we can imagine. And all of a sudden, this one is, is so remarkable. If you're looking and say, hey, 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 could this be the son of David? The NASB renders this verse differently and actually, I believe, more accurately. The NASB renders this verse, that second verse, as this man cannot be the son of David, can he? It was written in such a way as to, as to elicit a negative response. Like, they, okay, this guy is doing things. The, the son of David, just so you know, was another way of describing the Messiah. This guy couldn't be the Messiah, could he? They, they had, they had, he was doing things that the Messiah would do, that the Bible said the Messiah would do. And Isaiah 35, verse 5 says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. So they're amazed by the, the, these things that Jesus is doing, are doing, is doing, but they're, they're saying, well, but wait a minute, can he actually be the Messiah? They're skeptical. That even though he's doing these Messiah, these messianic things, can he be the Messiah? And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why they're skeptical. And the reason why they're skeptical is the Pharisees. Or the religious people had been communicating to them what to expect the Messiah to look like. What, what they expected from him. The reason why the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus because he wasn't the Messiah they wanted. They wanted a different Messiah. They wanted a Messiah that would come and deliver them from the oppressors, from the Romans. Jesus didn't come to do that. He came them to deliver them from a much greater oppressor than the Romans. He came to deliver us from sin. So he's doing all these things. They're saying, wait a minute, he's not doing what we expect. Can he be the Messiah? He can't actually be the Messiah. He's not doing, he's not preaching a message of deliverance from the Romans. He's not, deliver, he's not preaching a message of the kingdom of Israel. He's preaching this message about the kingdom of heaven. What's that? He didn't talk about the things that they expected him to talk about. Can he be the Messiah? He can't actually, he can't be it. Even John the Baptist, remember a few, few weeks ago, we were talking about John the Baptist sent some of his disciples. Are you the one we're waiting for? Or should we look, be looking for another? Even John the Baptist, his cousin, was wrestling with this concept. And the fact that the, the people are asking the question causes the Pharisees to respond. Verse 24. Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. The Pharisees had, had already decided to reject Jesus as the Messiah. They, they, they were not going to receive him as the Messiah. And the miracles were a problem. The miracles, as Jesus is doing these things, look at this, hey, this guy was deaf and mute, possessed by a demon, 
and now he's not, uh, we, can't, we, can't, we can't argue with the fact that this radical, this miraculous thing happened. So what do we do? Their pride and arrogance wouldn't allow them to accept the common sense truth of what Jesus had done. So much so that the people looked at him and said, well, wait a minute, this, this looks like somebody who ought to be the Messiah. So they, so they accuse Jesus of being, doing all these things by the power of Beelzebub. Beelzebub was a Philistine, lowercase g, God, a fertility God, lots of different interpretations of who this guy was. But for the Jews, he became synonymous with Satan, with the ruler of demons. Because they had rejected Jesus as the Messiah, rejected him as being from God, but he's doing miracles, they had to justify the miracles by associating with him with the only other source of supernatural events. There's only one other place. If he's not from God, there's only one other place that he can come from, that his power can come from, that is the ruler of demons. That's a natural conclusion on their part. It's natural. If, if you reject God, but there's these things that are supernatural, that they are beyond you know, our natural understanding, but you reject God, you have to put them someplace else. And so they put them the only other place they can put them. They attribute it to evil. And we live in a world now, many of the things that we see going on around us, there's one, there's one explanation for it. They have rejected God. If you reject God, you can do anything. You can find yourself justifying and explaining away all of these perverse and, and backward ideologies and theologies and Whatever ology you want to you want to mess around with, you can you can justify all of it. All you got to do is reject God. You know why why are people doing the things? Why why are the why are we fighting in in the local schools for them not to teach perversity to our children because they've rejected God. They have no desire for God or His things, and because they've rejected God, then well why not teach them this? Well, what's wrong with it? Well, come hang out with me. I'll tell you what's wrong with it. Everything is wrong with it. It's broken. Jesus responds to their their associating him with with the king of demons or the ruler of demons as absurd, verse 25. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Saying if if Jesus is or Satan is casting out demons, then he's fighting against himself. Now, understand something. Satan could cast out demons. He has the authority to rule over the demons, so he could do whatever he wants with them. But Jesus is saying that that would be stupid. He'd be fighting against himself if he was casting out demons. 
And, and he's calling them to make the natural conclusion. Okay, that would, be, that would be ridiculous for Satan to be casting out demons. So if, he's not, if it's not Satan, then what? Verse 27. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast, out, cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, there were Jews... And they had been, you know, assigned the task of dealing with demon possession, which at that time in Israel was common enough that they had a whole ministry associated with, with you know, with exorcisms, dealing with the demon possession that was happening around, around the, the nation of Israel. So there were Jews that were casting out demons from people. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, if I'm guilty of doing it by the power of the ruler of demons, then so are your people. He says, that's ridiculous as well. But if I'm, if I'm doing it by the power of God, then you are resisting. You are fighting against God. And we're living in a time also when there's, you know, we, we've been pretty fortunate we haven't experienced a lot of direct assaults on the church. We need to hang on. They're going to come. Eventually, they're going to come. We need to be ready for that. And they're fighting against God. And, and, and God is probably going to allow some of it. Not, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> but I'm not afraid of it. God's going to do something. You know, one of, the, one of the greatest things sometimes that will happen to churches is persecution. We don't like it, but it purifies the church and it grows the church. The, the world's fighting. They're fighting against God right now. And there's going to come a point where God is going to do something and, and we are hanging on for that. Verse 29. Or how can... One, enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man and then he will plunder his house. Now, Jesus is going back. He's using this illustration to talk about the fact that he's just cast out this demon and saying, how could, how could you do that? You know, assuming that in the illustration that the strong man in the house is Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, Satan. He says, how could, how could I go into his house and overpower, plunder his goods, basically deliver this man from this bondage of blindness and muteness and the demon possession. How could I do that unless I am stronger than him? Satan's strong. He's stronger than any human will ever be. But he has nothing compared to Jesus. Nothing. Not even close. There is not even a remote illustration that comes close. There's a, there's a, I'm going to read this verse out of Revelation. Revelation 20, verse 2 and 3. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him. Now we read that based on the context of what I just said. You might interpret he laid hold of the dragon as Jesus laid hold of the dragon. But in context, but if you actually go back into that verse, it's not a, it's not Jesus. It's an angel 
God just assigned some random, not a random angel, he picks one for whatever reason. It's just an angel. It's not given any elevation or any you know, sense of an archangel, just an angel is appointed to grab Satan by the nape of his neck and cast him into the bottomless pit, bound for a thousand years. The reality is, is that Jesus is saying, hey, you guys are, you guys are missing the whole thing here. And, he, and he's going he's gonna to help them to see something. It's something that we all need to see. And I'm guessing, you know, you're all believers here, most of you, I'm guessing. Maybe not, maybe not all of you. We'll talk to some of you later. No. Some of you online, I'm sure. Hey, online. We're going to have to choose a side. We all have to choose a side. Verse 30. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Eventually, if not today, eventually we all have to choose a side. And what Jesus is saying here, if you don't choose my side, if you don't choose Christ's side, if you are not with Christ, if you are not gathering with Christ, then you're against him. There's no neutral position There's no, yeah, okay, you guys do what you're going to do, but I'm going to do my thing. There is no my thing. That's how I used to believe when I was, before I was saved. Rick was a kingdom all unto himself. That was dumb. To be undecided is to decide against Jesus. That's the reality. And the Pharisees, they've chosen to reject Jesus. They see everything that he's doing, and they see everything he's doing, and, and, they could, and Jesus has, t- has pointed them to the Scriptures, say, hey, look at what the Scriptures say about the Messiah, and then look what I'm doing. That's exactly what he told John's disciples, and John's disciples came to him and said, are you the coming one? Jesus said, look what I'm doing. You know, and, and he was quoting out of the Old Testament, saying to them, these are the things that I do. Go and tell John that what you've seen, what you've heard. They had all the evidence they needed. And the same thing is true of everybody around us. They have all the evidence they need. And they have to make a choice. And by choosing to reject, choosing to reject Jesus, they have chosen Satan. Even if they don't believe in him. Even if they don't worship him, they've chosen him. And Jesus warns them next about that choice. Verse 31. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven them, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Blasphemy. We don't. We we hear people use this word. Most people don't really understand what it means. the 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 basic idea is to defame or to slander. That's the basic idea. From a religious standpoint, it's always pointed to God. It's always it's always slandering or defaming God, saying something about God that's not true. If you say something about God that's not true, that is blasphemy. If you say something about his nature, his character, you say something about his word that's not true, that's blasphemy. It's slandering and defaming God. It's doing something to his, it's describing his character that in a way that is not true. 
And by saying here, by saying the miracle that Jesus performs for this poor man who is in bondage to blindness and muteness and, and demon possession, to say that, that Satan is the one who delivered this man, that's blasphemy. Slandering the Holy Spirit by calling this good thing something evil. The Bible tells us God doesn't like that. In Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Can we not look at the news? Can we not look at social media and see that first being lived out all around us? People doing things that are just absolutely wicked, and glorifying it, praising themselves and, and, and encouraging others to praise them for this wicked thing that they've done. A woe, every time you see a woe in scripture, you just wanna pray that you're not attached to that woe in any way. It's a declaration of, of impending judgment or doom. <laughs> you don't want that. This sin is unforgivable because the power of God was manifested, obviously. There, there was no way to ignore the fact that this was something that was beyond human ability. It was miraculous. And it was obviously miraculous. Everybody could see it and say that was a miracle. That was something that could not be done by anyone else. God had to do it. But they said, no, that wasn't God. That was the devil. That's blasphemy. Blasphemy is evidence of willful disbelief. That's what blasphemy is. They have all the evidence they need to believe. They don't, they, they don't need any more evidence to believe that God is real than that miracle. That one miracle was enough to cause them to believe that God was real. And they chose not to. That's unforgivable. Now some believers, and I've dealt with this over the years, will come to me and ask the question, how do I know if I have committed the unforgivable sin? Maybe I've committed that sin. Here's, here's, if, if you've ever wrestled with that or are wrestling with that, here, let me give you, let me give you some hope. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. If you, if you are concerned that you may have committed the unforgivable sin, you can't have done it. Because the person that commits the unforgivable sin has seen the truth of God and rejected it. Said, no, I will not believe that. The fact that you care and are concerned is proof. Nope, no, you haven't. Now, we should not skim over something in this verse. It says, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. Oh, we don't want to skim over that. That's a glorious statement. Did Jesus really mean, and, and, and you know, that's a this is a rhetorical question, so you already know what the answer is. Did he really mean every sin and blasphemy? Say yes out loud. Yes, he did. Every last one. 
Really? How about lying? Yep. How about stealing? Yep. How about cheating on your taxes? Yep. How about cheating on your spouse? Yep. How about murder? Yep. Can all those things be forgiven? Yes. How about wrong thoughts? Yep. How about worry? Yep. How about anger, resentment, bitterness, frustration? Yes, 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 yes. If you've believed in Jesus Christ and repented of your sins, every sin is forgiven, every last one of them. And you haven't committed the unforgivable sin because you've repented of your sins. You can't commit an unforgivable sin if you've repented of your sins. If you put your trust in Jesus and turn away from that life, turn away from your sin, even though you may be tempted to sin, even though you will sin, even though those wrong thoughts will come back again, even though somebody's gonna make you angry again, even though something's gonna come that's gonna make you worry or fear or whatever, even though those things are gonna come, those sins, every last one of them is forgiven. It doesn't justify doing them, by the way. It doesn't, it's not okay for you to continue doing those things, and you should, you should be grieved in your spirit every time you do it, which is another evidence of the fact that, you know, that God's doing a work inside of you when it bothers you when you do those things. But, you know, but we, we're forgiven. You know what that means? We are free. We don't, we don't drag around. Remember that, this poor man, demon-possessed, blind, and mute. His life was so small because of the bondage that we, he was in. And Jesus took it all away and opened up the whole world for this man. That's what he does. That's what Jesus does when he forgives us of our sin. He opens up the whole world for us and says, go, go. If you put your trust in Jesus, there is not a sin that cannot be forgiven. You just got to believe it. Doesn't mean it's okay. You know, the reasons why, Randy and I were talking about this earlier, one of the reasons why we shouldn't sin again after we've been forgiven, every sin carries the seeds of its own punishment. We were talking about California. Does California deserve God's punishment? Uh, yeah, I'm afraid so. God doesn't have to. God does not have to punish California. You know why? Because the things California is doing is going to punish itself. These things, these policies, these things, all, and we can see it happening. We can see the damage that these wrong policies are doing. I mean, God does I mean, God may still punish California, judge California, but he doesn't have to. It's going to punish itself. The same thing is true of us individually. If you choose to continue in sin after you've been forgiven, watch out. The very things you're doing carry within themselves the seeds of punishment. And those seeds will bear fruit. And it's always ugly, nasty, painful fruit. So don't sin, okay? Is that my point? Is that my point? Don't sin, okay? You know, and if you do, what should you do? Say it out loud. Repent. Repent. When? 
now. Oh my gosh, God is so good to us. He gave us repentance. He says, I know you're weak. I know you're going to blow it. I know that no matter what I do and say and give to you and all this stuff, you're still going to blow it in sin. You're going to have wrong thoughts. You're going you're gonna to have wrong feelings. You're going to do wrong things. Just repent. And what, is, what does he say will happen if we repent? Well, if we turn that word repent to confess, what does it say? He says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess... I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He make you clean. Oh man, we ought to rush to the throne when we blow it. Just throw ourselves at his feet and say, forgive me. I've done it again and again and again. And he says, okay. I forgive you again and again and again. What a good God we serve. Jesus concludes this text with an exhortation to examine our words. Oh, words. If you have any question about words, read James 1. He'll talk to you about your words. Verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you, that for every idle word men speak, they will give an account for in the day of it, in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, or by your words you will be condemned. The harshest words that Jesus used in, in all the time, all the scriptures we have recording his words, the harshest words he used were directed right at the Pharisees. And that's what these words are directed at, the Pharisees, the context of this section. And it refers to them as a brood of vipers. Now, I've read this. I've taught this text before. And all of a sudden, something occurred to me that I just hadn't caught before as I do this. One of the things I love, I love studying Scripture. You study it long enough. I mean, you just keep studying it. And you keep discovering new things. It's not new. I just saw it for the very first time. They accuse, Jesus does his miracle. They accuse him of being connected to, colluding with, the ruler of demons. You know another name for the ruler of demons? The serpent, the dragon. And here he refers to them as a brood of vipers, saying, you're, you're blaming me. You're accusing me of being connected to Satan. Uh, you're his kids. Yikes. In John 8, 44, he says it much more clearly. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he's a liar and the father of it. He's saying, hey, you know, you're doing what is natural for you. That's natural for, for someone who has rejected God to do things that are contrary to the heart, will, and mind of God. We should expect nothing else from them. Somebody rejects God, we should not expect them to be good, to say good things, to be nice and kind and compassionate. 
We sometimes, we sometimes do that. We get all freaked out when somebody does something evil. Well, it's because they are evil. Well, they may not, you know, they may not have evil you know, tattooed on their forehead, but if they've rejected God, the only thing they can do is bad. That's all they have. They may do some things that resemble good, they may do some things that, you know, that, that if we, you know, evaluate them based on the, you know, what God says is good, then, okay, that looks good, but at the heart of it, it's not. They were doing what is natural for someone who has rejected Christ. And we look around this world, and we can, and we can say without, without any hesitation, there's one problem. The world has one problem. It's, it's turned away from God. What does the world need? Jesus. The world needs Jesus. Doesn't need laws. Doesn't need government. Doesn't need judgment. It needs Jesus. Jesus is saying here that, that, that the words that come out of our mouth, and he's, again, he's targeting this specifically at the Pharisees, but we can apply this to ourselves as well or to others. If the words that are coming out of the mouth are evil, then that's coming from somewhere. And Jesus says it's coming from right there. You know, the devil made me say it. Nope, he did not. He said it because it was in here. This comes up often when I'm doing counseling. Somebody has a problem with their tongue. If it's coming out of your mouth, it's coming from somewhere. And Jesus says it's coming from a heart that is not right. If good is coming out, it probably means there's good in. We can't absolutely guarantee that because only God knows the heart. Matthew's gospel is about Jesus, as all the gospels are about Jesus. Actually, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Matthew focuses on one thing in particular. He focuses on the reality that Jesus is the king. And, and for the Jews, he's the king they've been waiting for. They were waiting for a king, someone who would sit on the throne of David forever. And Jesus was that king. And Matthew draws that out over and over and over again. And here, because these religious Jews were looking for a king that didn't look like Jesus, but he was doing all the things that that king should be doing, the only thing they can do is attribute his behavior, his ability, his everything to Satan. They attempted and continue to attempt, and will continue to attempt to discredit Jesus over and over and over again, but every time they're going to fail. And brothers and sisters, it's no different today. The world will try to discredit you and discredit Jesus. Stand your ground. Jesus was right back then. He's right now. Jesus was king then. He's king now. Jesus was truth then. He's truth now. Jesus was life then. He's life now. Stand your ground. They're going to try to discredit him. They're going to try to say evil things about him. Stand your ground. Speak the truth in love, but stand your ground. And ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and give you the words to say when you need to hear them. And he will because he's good at that kind of stuff. It's fascinating. 
I've gotten involved in some conversations on social media. I don't do as much anymore because it's such a waste of time. But get in, in a conversation with people on social media that, that is, and they get all ugly and contrary and disagree with something that is obviously true in Scripture. And, and so I'll have a dialogue with them. And I've, I've, every time I've approached one of those dialogues, it was never to change that person's mind. It was to influence every single person that would listen, that would look at that conversation online. Because just here, as Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees, I think there's, it doesn't say it, but he knows them. He knows they're not going to change. It's all those multitudes that were all around that said, this can't be the son of God or the son of David, can it? And through this exchange, he's showing to them, he's describing to them, oh yeah, I am. I am. The same thing is true of us. When we get into one of these conversations, you may not have any ability to influence that person you're actually talking to, but you might influence every other person that's listening to it. And that's what our heart ought to be. Jesus came. And in this conversation, he made one thing very clear, that there are two kingdoms in the world. And it wasn't the Israelites versus the Romans. Still true today. There are only two kingdoms. It's not us versus them. It's not liberals versus conservatives. It's not Democrats versus Republicans. It's not gay people versus straight people. It's not believers versus unbelievers. There are only two kings. It's the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of Satan. There are only two, only two kingdoms. All the rest of that is just what flows out of the fact that there are only two kingdoms. And those two kingdoms are at odds with one another. Those two kingdoms are in conflict with one another. Those two kingdoms are at war with one another. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. And everyone at some point has got to answer the question. I'm guessing most of you, if I ask you, who is your king? You're going to tell me it's Jesus, right? Somebody say it out loud. Jesus is my king. There's only two choices, Christ or Satan. We might like to believe that there's other choices. No, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a Trump guy. Puh. I'm a Biden guy. Ugh. I don't think I like either one of those choices. Sorry, was that political? Did I get political there for a moment? I'm going to get canceled off of YouTube again. Oh, well. The Bible teaches that before we came to Christ, all of us, every last one of us, were children of the darkness. Satan was our king. Every one of us. But then, Jesus saved us. Somebody say hallelujah. Jesus saved us. And he transported us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his light, of his love, of his grace, of his mercy. But as children of the light, where do we live? Among the darkness. We live among the children of darkness. And God has no intention of changing that until he takes us home or until Jesus comes back. You know which one I'm praying for, right? What a privilege God has bestowed upon us. Do you understand how great a privilege it is? You 
as believers in Jesus Christ, have been ordained by God to be an ambassador, to be an ambassador of the light, to be ambassador of truth, to be an ambassador of love, to tell the rest of the world that there are two kingdoms and we have to choose. And if you don't choose, you have chosen. We carry on our lips the greatest gift imaginable. The truth of Jesus Christ. The gospel that saves people from the kingdom of darkness, from the kingdom of Satan, from the power of sin. Maybe, many, many, maybe most will reject that gift. Some, maybe only one, will accept it. As we prepare to leave and go and eat, somebody said, praise the Lord. We need to remind ourselves. I don't know, I'm, saying, I'm saying, telling you to say a lot of things today. I don't know what's about it. We need to remind ourselves that we, we have been chosen. We've been chosen to be a part of Christ's kingdom. I know most of you. I don't have any idea why he picked you. I'm not sure why he picked me. But he did. And then he ordained us. Then he gifted us. Then he empowered us. Then he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us. That we might be his ambassadors out into the world. To take his light out into the darkness. So that they might have the hope that we have. They might have the joy that we have. They might have the peace that we have. The grace, the mercy. All of the things that God bestows upon us. That, that we might be able to take that out to them. We need to remind ourselves that we have, we have chosen through God's influence in us, his, his choosing us. We have chosen his kingdom, and then he chose us then to send us out into it. And he wants us to live like good citizens of heaven. Somebody say, okay, I will. I did it again. Do it. I will. Choose today to love God enough to take his truth out to the world around you. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for this time, for your word. And I pray, Lord, as we've talked about the reality, there are only two kingdoms, and we must choose. And Lord, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir probably. I'm preaching to those who have, have chosen that kingdom. And Lord, but there's always a chance. There's always a chance that somebody is here that, 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 Maybe that choice is a little flimsy. Maybe that choice is not as well established as it should be. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would just give them that sense of resolve in their heart. There are only two kingdoms, and I must choose. And to choose anything other than Jesus is to choose Satan. And so I pray, Lord God, that you'd minister to our hearts right now. If there's anyone here who has not chosen Jesus as their king, they would humble their hearts right now and choose him. That they would confess that they need him. And to reject him is to be lost forever. Choosing him implies that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna obey him. And that includes repenting of our sins. 
And so I pray for all of us, Lord, every last one of us that would search our hearts and see if there is anything that we need to repent of, that we do it right this very moment. We don't need to say it out loud. We don't need to, we don't need to sit in a booth with somebody. We can, we can just literally just open our hearts to you and, and tell you, God, that we have something we need to deal with and you should deal with it right this very moment. And I pray, Lord God, that we would sense your forgiveness and cleansing that we'd be at peace knowing that when we've turned our hearts to you and we've repented of any sins that we know of, that we, we are forgiven. We are free. The freedom the rest of the world does not know. Minister to your people, God, in a way that only you can. And for all of us, Lord God, that we would, that we would rejoice in the fact that we are in Christ's kingdom. And as such, you're calling us to be good citizens of that kingdom. Whatever that means for us, wherever it takes us, however we're to manifest that out in the world, Lord, that you would help us to do that. And we would do it boldly. We would do it based on the truth of God and that we would do it in a way that draws others into your presence, God. Now we know many will reject it and that breaks our heart. But Lord, let it not stop us from doing it. Let us not stop it from, from that, that reality, stop us from sharing the truth of others to others of you. I thank you, Lord, for all that we're doing. And as we prepare to, to end this service and take a time of fellowship, Lord, we lift up the food and we thank you for it. We ask your blessing over it. And we thank you for all of those that, that, that shared this morning of that bounty and I pray, Lord, that your people would enjoy the fellowship of the brethren. We love you, Lord. We give all of this to you, and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for the Rise Up series. It's our hope that these messages will help you to grow in your faith. If you have questions, or if there's anything that we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. And one of the ways that we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying with you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951 419 5396. If this material has blessed you in any way, has been useful to you in any way, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfe.com give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.